0: Welcome to another edition of The Word of God with Father Reed Henserling. I am the rector at All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. And we are celebrating this week the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. The fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, in the season of Epiphany, there are not a set number of weeks as there are in Advent. For example, Advent is always four Advents, four Sundays lent is always five sundays followed by palm sunday and then easter epiphany changes according to when ash wednesday is and therefore where easter is Uh, easter has a set number of sundays but pentecost does not it varies so in epiphany we're in the fourth sunday after the epiphany and the last one is you'll see several weeks from now will be called the last Sunday after the Epiphany, and then we start Lent the following week. Well, we are continuing from where we left off last week on Third Epiphany by looking at the books of Isaiah and the second half of Galatians, Galatians 4, 5, and 6, and a continuation of Jesus' ministry into Mark. We think his ministry was about three years, and so we're probably in the second year as we look at Mark 7 through Mark 9. And again, we are analyzing, looking, praying, thinking about, challenging ourselves, open to. What is Jesus doing? What is Paul telling the people of Galatia? How does that impact my life? And then, of course, Isaiah. What in the world could Isaiah say to me 2,700 years ago? But you'd be amazed. And so when you get in the habit of reading these great chapters, I think you will enjoy them very, very much. Isaiah 51 through 57 is what we are focusing on this week. And as I said last week, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking to the people of Israel. He's speaking about the surrounding nations. He's speaking about how he's going to take care of Israel. He's also chastising Israel for their sin. He's also Uh, telling them how he's going to bless them. He's telling them what he wants them to do. He tells them what he doesn't want to do. So in your conversation, in your relationship with God Almighty, what I love about reading the prophets is the kind of relationship that God has with Israel, but then the kind of relationship that God has with us. Okay? So you may insert yourself, as I said at the end of uh, the recording last week, the program last week. Think about God speaking to you directly. Okay. Chapter 51, 9 to 16 on Sunday. Let me just read a few verses. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Were it not you who dried up the sea, verse 10, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of sea away for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Who makes that possible? God Almighty makes that possible. He makes it possible to do all those things. So we need to look to him. We need to praise him. We need to glorify him. We need to magnify him. We need to take him seriously in our daily living. Wake up. Wake yourself up. Verse 17. Stand up, O Jerusalem. There is none to guide her among all the sons she is born. There's none to take her by the hand among all the sons she is brought up. Who will console you? Verse 19. Devastation and destruction famine and sword. Who's going to comfort you? Who's going to take care of you? Obviously, God is the one that is going to provide for them. In chapter 52, we see the coming of the salvation of the Lord. Awake, awake. Verse 1. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall be no more come into you, the circumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. So he gives commands. He teaches them. He proclaims to them. He warns them. So there's, again, this fantastic relationship that he has with Israel that he wants to have with us also. Now, we skip the famous chapter 53, which is about Jesus' bearing our sins, and we jump to chapter 54. We jump to chapter 54 on Wednesday, a beautiful series of scriptures here from verses one through 17. Now you'll see that there are uh, apostrophe around or uh, uh, something to indicate uh, a paragraph um, and uh, you'll see that that's from 11 to 17 That means that you don't have to read that, but I would encourage you to read all that the verses, uh, the book shows you. Uh, Chapter 54, 1 through 10, in parentheses, it's 11 to 17. Uh, You might want to read 11 to 17. In fact, that whole chapter is quite uh, extraordinary. Verse 17 is a famous verse in chapter 54. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. and Their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So God is able to make no weapon to succeed against us as long as we're in the Lord. So there's a steadfastness about the word of God and the person's relationship with God. That's very important in the prophetic books. I love chapter 55, a beautiful chapter. And the whole, the whole chapter is really wonderful. Verse 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. So he's pleading with us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to the waters. You may not even have anything to eat. You have, you have no money to buy. Still come anyway. Listen to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, verse three, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Now that's an eternal message. That's a message to Israel, certainly, in, in context. But also we could insert our names into there. Listen to the Lord. Listen that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now again, he's talking back to Israel. He's talking about the people of Israel and their relationship with David, their king. And it goes on and on and on. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. So God is supporting the idea of righteousness, godliness, holiness, listening to the Lord, doing his will, and encouraging the wicked not to persist in their wickedness. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, chapter 55, verse 8. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So we want to listen to the Lord. We want to hear what he has to say. He is greater than anyone else. Listen to what he says to us. And finally, in the last two um, days, Friday and Saturday, we're looking at Isaiah 56 and Isaiah 57. In Isaiah 57, we are looking at the futility of idolatry. Remember, I've spoken a lot in the last several weeks about idolatry and how dangerous it is. Uh, You do not want to follow anyone but the Lord. The Lord is real. And those things that are constructed by man are not real. They cannot heal. They cannot deliver. They cannot save. They cannot hear you. Let's continue on with our Word of God study with the book of Galatians. Now, we're looking at the last three chapters. I hope you had an opportunity to read the first three chapters, particularly if you are not familiar with the book of Galatians. What's important about the daily lectionary is that this is a wonderful opportunity to read the scriptures. Again, you may be in a situation where you know the scriptures well, And this is a good idea to keep doing this. I've been reading the Daily Lectionary since 1992, 1992, that's quite a long time now. And it's been very, very good. Do I get tired of it? No, because you always see new things in the Bible or see things that you've never seen before. At the same time, if you've never read these scriptures before, it's wonderful to have your eyes open to the realities of which they speak about. And so we begin in chapter 4. Paul's concern with the Galatians. um, The book of Galatians is very much Old Testament driven. So the person that's reading, the believer that's reading or the person that's just reading because they want to, needs to have some kind of Old Testament background. Now, as I've said before in this class or in this program that we're putting on on a weekly basis, you might want to have a study Bible that has notes at the bottom of your Bible that will help you interpret what the language is about and what some of these words mean and some of the context of which they write. And that's sometimes very helpful. Unless you know what's going on, you can read it directly. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and wor- worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and years. I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. You're now going back and doing things that you used to do. Why are you doing those things? You've put your faith in Christ. You've abandoned that message, as I said last week. And now you're doing things that make no sense to me. Why? Why are you doing this? Paul is very frustrated. You might even say that he's quite angry about this. In chapter 5, he says, one of, chapter 5 is one of my favorite books of the Bible. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You were living in slavery. You were bound to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You were bound to things that kept you in bondage, in chains. God has taken care of that by freeing you. Christ has delivered you. But the way you're acting now is you're going back to that. Why are you doing that? He said Christ has set you free. Enjoy that freedom. Enjoy that freedom that you have in Christ. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. Don't be, you can't be justified by the law. I said last week that the law cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. You've fallen away from grace, he says in verse 4. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, if you depend on the law, you're not going to have the hope of righteousness. You're not going to be living, living by faith in Christ. But if you'll listen to the Spirit of God and you will put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. I love verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only faith working itself through love. You were running well, verse seven. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who messed you up? So he appeals to them to stop doing what they have been doing. You will call to freedom, brothers, verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom to do what the flesh wants you to do. But through love, serve one another. The section from 16 to 26 is a very famous section in the Bible when it talks about the freedom of the flesh versus the bondage, the freedom of the spirit versus the bondage of the flesh. It's not the freedom of the flesh, that's for sure. It's the bondage of the flesh. So he says, Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What is the flesh? Those desires that are part of our nature that exalt themselves where we desire to do what we want to do rather than what the Spirit of God wants us to do. Now, the Spirit of God is a supernatural action upon us. The flesh is part of our own who we are. It's part of, of my makeup. It's part of my sinful nature. Some people, uh, instead of saying the word flesh, they say sinful nature. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, he says in verse 17. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. And then later in that chapter, he famously lists the flesh. He lists the things that the flesh um, shows, what the evidence of the flesh is, what actions of the flesh. In In case you don't know what the flesh is, he lists it for you. But then he lists the fruit of the spirit. And there are nine, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's the way we are supposed to live. And that's what we're supposed to produce. As Christian people, we are not called to produce things of the flesh, but things of the spirit. So enjoy chapter five. And then finally in chapter six, he has some final comments that he makes about several issues. I love verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the idea of you and I thinking we're something is total deception. Each one, verse 4, should test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Okay? All right? Don't boast in yourself, boast in what Christ has done for you. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Verse 7. I love that verse. For whoever, whatever one sows, that he or she will also reap. If you reap according to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Verse 8. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. So enjoy the second half of Galatians in chapters 4, 5 and 6, where Paul appeals to the people of Galatia, to think about the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh, to put their faith in Christ and not in the power of the law. Well, we continue our journey with Jesus in Mark, chapters 7 through 9. Chapters 7 through 9 of the Gospel of Mark. Remember, Mark is the second book of the Bible uh, in the New Testament, after Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we visit Jesus. Again, read these slowly, enjoy them. Chapter 7, verse 24 through 31, the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus goes uh, rogue a little bit. He leaves uh, Israel and he goes in a Gentile area and he has this very low standing woman that appeals to him uh, for the healing of his, her daughter who has an unclean spirit. And Jesus does what I call, we call a long distance miracle. But the woman has to press in upon him to do it. Again, another miracle, this time outside of Jerusalem. In chapter 8, he, he feeds the 4,000. Now, earlier he fed the 5,000. Jesus takes care of material needs. He also takes care of spiritual needs. So there's a tie-in between him feeding them with sustenance, with food, in order to survive, but also feeding them with the word of God, which he shares in his teaching and preaching, that is also going to help them survive and live eternally and in the present life. Okay, So the idea of feeding people, the idea of Christ feeding people, is a very, very important concept. And in John chapter 6, for example, that's well articulated by John. We continue in chapter 8 with the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Again, we're back and forth in Mark between the teaching of Jesus and the problem with the rulers of Israel, the religious rulers of Israel. They did not understand what he was saying, and so he went back and forth with them. We see this particularly in the Gospel of John. But Mark also has evidence of their not understanding what he's saying, and so he has to interpret for them. Were they really interested in hearing him? Eh, No, not really. He heals a blind man at Bethsaida in the middle of chapter 8. Jesus um, has this great confession of Peter in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? It's a great question for all of you that are listening and reading. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell. But right after this, he began to teach them the Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And after three days, he's going to be raised again. Peter takes him aside and says, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus has no problem not only dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but also dealing with his disciples and correcting them when they mess up back to Galatians. Remember I told you last week that Paul was very concerned about what they were believing, and they were believing things that were false. Jesus just corrects us also when we begin to believe things that are not true, okay, even his closest disciples. And finally, on Friday and Saturday, we will look at the ninth chapter of John, the transfiguration of Jesus, the glory of Jesus is shown. He goes up with Peter, James, and John, God Almighty speaks to him again. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then when he comes down the mountain, he heals a boy with an unclean spirit. So he has these tremendous manifestations of himself, these tremendous teachings about himself, these tremendous proclamations about what the kingdom of God is about, and also these amazing events from feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, walking on water, healing people, casting out devils, raising people from the dead. And so you really get this fantastic feeling of this, the enormity of this person's life and the greatness of their life. So enjoy reading, take your time in reading, find a quiet place to read and enjoy reading the daily lectionary from the fourth Sunday after the epiphany. God bless you and we'll see you next week.